know what I mean. No, I, I, <laughs> who can be bothered? That's the, my only, the only thing I've prepared down here is a couple of names so I don't forget them. And we we'll might as well okay. just start off with the first four. And it's kind of the fact that how I haven't been able to cross paths with you so far, Mickey, because I've had um, Cliff Harvey on. Uh, oh, my mate. Great. My Grant, Grant Schofield on, and then Grant and Karen on, and then Jamie Scott on. Oh, my God. <laughs> you've had, like, you've had the full gamut. You've had basically the four people I know. Yeah, yeah. Fact, so, on. so I've sort of thought about it that maybe I just like to every now and again throw in my nutrition and health bias and just remind people that I'm a little bit biased towards this whole foodie, paleo whiskey, <laughs> low carby, um, don't eat things out of packets type vibe <laughs> oh that's cool yeah, to be fair i'm probably the out of all of the people that no actually cliff and i would be the same we'd be like yeah we're totally whole food plus beer <laughs> oh, we're totally whole whole food plus treat night yeah, <laughs> if you follow sure. cliff on uh on insta but it, it's but really it comes down to what you do typically right that makes mm. the difference and i think everyone in in this space and made most of the people that you've just mentioned are, are probably similar in me in that in that we sort of start at the real extreme and then you find yourself just leveling back to not a middle ground from sort of traditional nutrition guidelines but more like a you almost have to go to the extreme to find your balance, I think. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. It's the same as anything, really. Absolutely. Like I've had um, Megan Ramos and Sean Baker on the podcast before, oh. and it's kind of like, you know, you're having a discussion with a diabetic and you're looking at their eyes and going, gee whiz, you might be going blind. We need to really, really act on this. Like we can yep. send you up to the ophthalmologist and they can treat your eye, but this is not going to get any better if we don't really do something about this. And you totally. go, you know, you start at the end of, well, there's this thing called the Verda study and they've got great technology and they follow ketosis. Um, and there's also this handout here from Dr. David Unwin. He gave it to lots of his practice, but mm. in this case, 19 people, 18 of them managed to stick to it for eight months. 16 of them reversed their diabetes. The other two improved things. So we yeah. could try that. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, it's so interesting with that because you often see from people in the field who aren't necessarily um, advocates, they like you, you hear it being described as it's really hard to adhere to, like a keto or a low carb approach, so difficult to adhere. You know, people, you know, people just can't do it. So it's almost dismissed out of hand. Whereas I actually think low carb is pretty it's actually not that hard. It like it almost gets painted like this initially. So out the out the gates, people who might be uh, recommended doing such an approach, if they hear how hard it is, they're going to be wait. That's already pushing in their mind, saying in their mind, okay, well, oh, I've got a challenge ahead of me. You know, like so, it's almost like that burden of doing it is already upon them before they've even begun. You know, mm. diet like so much of diet really comes to sort of people's comes down to people's sort of preconceived notions like their own history what they've heard about something um what their mates do but almost everyone you hear about coming into a diet has that sort of um already has almost decided in their head whether or not it's going to work for them and if you're constantly told how hard something is like with the low carb the verta health stuff which is amazing by the way um so much less likely to do it so it's so awesome that there are now like published a heap of published clinical trials showing how good it is mm -hmm. so 
the question I have for you is how does nutrition work? Because in optometry, typically we've got a two year recall for our regular people. Um, we sort of get down to six and three months for macular degeneration and glaucoma. Then when mm. it comes to us doing our diabetic photo screening, we're sort of at the, if anyone's needing to be seen more than three months, they're being referred to an ophthalmologist to get specialist care. Cause it, mm. you know, whereas monitoring, we can sort of go three and typically six months. And it's like that five, five or 10 minute summary of their photos and try fit in as much as you can. But you're kind of that touch point of like, well, this is what's happening in your eyes and here's everything else. What's your sort of time frames of working with somebody as a nutritionist? Yeah, such a good question, Ryan. So I think all of us in the field would come at it with the same end goal, which we want. It's like the self self-terminating mm. end role because we want to give people tools so they don't need us. And everyone is really different as to how that looks for them. So I, you know, with regards to my own services, I don't um I, I don't sell packages, if you like, that last for three months, six months, nine months on that individual one-on-one one -on -one basis. Of course, I have my Monday's Matter Fat Loss Plan that's eight weeks long. It's a, that, that's a, sort of almost a separate thing compared to the one-on-one um, -on -one consult because with the one-on-one, -on -one, you, you, everyone has a different backstory, different experience. Some people have no idea what a carbohydrate is. Other people are as knowledgeable as I would be on physiology and nutrition, but they haven't managed to nail it with regards to their own nutrition, you know? So, um, so I really sort of gauge within that initial consultation, which is roughly around 60 minutes long, their, um, what they want from it and what they need from it. Because some people have all the knowledge in the world, but they need to see me every week for accountability purposes. Cause they know if they don't, it's like that personal trainer, like they're not going to, um, uh, they're not going to have that opportunity to make those habits stick because it's all about habit forming and how well you can uh, create new, better habits and remove some of those ones that aren't serving you. So for some people, it is about accountability. For some people though, as well, it is absolutely knowledge and, them, and so you build that knowledge with them over time. Uh, which might be once every two weeks, once every three weeks, we um, we catch up. Uh, but for some people, it's like a one and done. Like they come to me and they're like, Mickey, I've got an ultra endurance. I'm, I'm doing Tadawera 100. Uh, I, I need, I've, I've got my a nutrition sorted for the race. I just need to figure out my training nutrition. And then that's a re that's, um, you know, they just need me to tell them what to do and they'll do it. So it's so individual, but at the end of it, what you want is you want your clients to have left um, uh, the relationship with you, if you like, with all of these tools that they can then use moving forward. And of course, I have clients who come back to me um, year on year, potentially for different things or for a revisit or because actually... Um, life intervened in their best laid plans to continue on the path that they were on and then they just need my help again and and if you're someone who has worked successfully with them before in the past then then they're much more likely to come back to you because you know it, it's relationship building really at the end of the day I think so it's not really a black and white answer no for sure that's that's awesome and so is it, it's an applied science basically 
Totally is, you know, but it's an art as well because mm -hmm. you will read all of the uh, clinical trials and PubMed that talk about a particular topic, but the best diet or um, the best uh, written solution for someone is only the best one for them if they can adhere to it, you know. So it comes back to what they're willing to or what they're able to achieve within their life because I could give you, Ryan, the perfect diet, which we know would help reduce body fat and improve uh, body composition, um, you know, like sort your blood sugars, sort your energy. But if it's giving you, if the strategies that we come up with are so unrealistic for your life, then, you know, it's never going to work. Um, but then also, like if you look at some of the clinical trials in and around fat loss, particularly, like what is considered significant with regards to having a significant change in, let's say, um, muscle mass or or uh, body fat, like it, sometimes sometimes it doesn't even seem that meaningful. Like you know, if you get people who are fit into that obese category where they may have fifteen to twenty to twenty five kilos to lose, and they they lose two kilos over a year, which the way the study has been designed. Um, eventuates in being sort of clinically um, uh, significant it just means that statistically they've lost more weight but that's just two kilos over you know mm. for someone who has 15 or 20 kilos to lose it's not a lot so yeah so do you find yourself having to dive into the raw data a lot get away from the percentage and the relative changes and things like that Totally. And I'm a geek as well, you know, like I, I, I'm not not smartest person in the world at all, actually. Like I have to read things several times, but I really enjoy the, I enjoy it when um, new studies come out in this field. Like I've always really enjoyed working in that sort of fat loss space as much as the um, sort of sports space, if you like. And, um, but also in the um, over the years, I've become much more interested in things like supplements and how they might be used. And of course, lifestyle and the importance of that and and um, doing a deep dive into some of the literature around that stuff too, I find super interesting. Hmm. So uh, what has been your knowledge base so far? Like what's what's got you to, to today? Well, I did my undergraduate um, science degree at Otago and so, and um, so simultaneously I did my phys ed degree also um, and only really did nutrition because I was told that um, if I was only doing phys ed then I'd have to either be a personal trainer or a teacher and um, and I did I was a, a gym instructor and a personal trainer at Les Mills and Contours in Dunedin and mm -hmm. that was you know a few months of that was well enough for me to realize there was no way I wanted to do that um, so my flatmates at the time were doing nutrition and just said oh you should just do it too so picked it up and um, and was just fascinated but I'd always been fascinated and I was like that you know you hear stories of of more so women um, who go on diets with their mothers when they're like 13 because see I'm a twin and as we were growing up I was always the chubby twin so um, and I was always compared to my mother and not in a necessarily favorable way she's not going to listen to this so it's fine um, <laughs> she was always you know just a little bit bigger and so we'd be constantly going on like diets and and things so it's fair to say obsession for me um, started at quite a young age um, and then when it came to having the um, ability to study at university, I was all over that. And then um, did my master's in childhood obesity, actually, also at Otago. 
and then um, begun a PhD, but uh, just really wasn't in the right space for it. Ryan, you know, like all of my mates were doing it. My boyfriend at the time was doing his PhD and I just thought and I'd had a scholarship to do it. I'm like, sweet. I'll, you know, I'll just do that. Um, but I was just, I, had, I think I must have just been burnt out because I'd been at mm. uni for like nine years at the time or something. So I um, up sticks, I quit it and then I left to come to Auckland and um, was employed in this exceptionally boring job um, in a research unit. Uh, <clears throat> and um, then just a few things just sort of happened whereby I found myself working at Shoe Science. Um, and I thought then, because I'd done a little bit of consulting from my nutrition degree in Dunedin, I thought I'd start up my consulting again. So I was running quite a bit. I was in that sort of fitness space. And then I started consulting. And then subsequent to that, I started working at a uh, wellness, uh, a workplace wellness company. Um, and that was the worst work experience ever because the, the owners were terrible. And, um, and I lost, I got fired for a job because I didn't know how to do what they didn't tell me um, how to do, you know, like it's one of that, one of those sort of situations. Um, and then met um, Grant, who you mentioned at the outset of our talk. And then we started talking about me beginning a PhD in that workplace um, wellness space. So I ended up getting a lecturing position at AUT. Grant um, became like, and still is, a good friend. He was initially my sort of boss slash supervisor on my PhD as I was going through um, doing it alongside uh, Associate Professor uh, Scott Duncan. And um, and then, but I'd always kept my nutrition consulting on the side as well. So I was at AUT for, I think maybe, I want to say nine years, but it might've been nine years. And then I just left it to just do um, full-time consulting and, and which is sort of where I'm at now, if you like. So years, I, I won't bore you with the rest of it because that was all pretty boring probably anyway. Um, but I, um, I, my mate, Cameron, who runs a um, a software company, Training Tilt, he was beginning this this um, software whereby you could put meal plans in it and start selling mm. meal plans online, and then have a messaging system within that system. And so, he really helped me understand how I could scale my one on ones to be more um, template, yet also work with people to sort of. Um, to help individualize a template plan. So I sort of got into that space as well. And I'd have to say he's, I mean, he's the reason why my Mondays Matter fat loss plan is so successful. Cause I've got the, the he created that technology to allow me to, to um, lay the foundation for a group program uh, using that, using Facebook, and then just getting in and really helping people sort of lose, lose body fat. Um, and I love it as well. Cause I, my plan itself is based on that um, most sort of evidence-based stuff like protein sparing modified fast and using diet breaks and, and, um, and things like that, which I'm, you know, I love, I love things like that. So that's sort of from a, I suppose that's a professional and a, a um, educational background, but all in, in, in the meanwhile, at a, around the same time that Grant and Karen got into that, uh, more sort of paleolithic space I was working with them at the time and, and we were like a research unit and that's when I sort of discovered um, that 
the dietary guidelines weren't what I thought they were, you know? Um, and I think I was heavily influenced by Sarah Wilson and her yep. I Quit Sugar program. She's yeah. amazing. Um, and also Rob Wolf from mm -hmm. the Paleo Solution, uh, Mark Sisson from Mark's Daily Apple, Ben Greenfield. And I just, and this is when podcasts were beginning to be a thing as well. And I just started, um, I've learned so much more in podcasts than I ever did, I think, mm -hmm. in my actual formal education. And I continue to learn and love using them as a platform for, for learning. And then discovered I actually quite like doing them myself, as you <laughs> must. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, before we carry on down that road, I keep catching a rolling R there when you say work. Is oh, there, yeah. Is, there, is that from too long in Dunedin or are you from more south than that? <laughs> no, I, mean, I grew up in Dunedin actually. So right. born and bred, Ravensbourne, yep. uh, West Harbour, a bit of a bogan and, uh, and then, yeah, but um, left, left Dunedin at 27, went back briefly in 2016 for about nine months. Uh, and um, but outside of that, it's Auckland. Yeah, so it's not just Southlanders that roll their eyes. It's the occasional <laughs> Dunedinite, the occasional yes. the occasional person from Wamaru and Timaru, and even Ash Burden. Every now and again, you'll catch out some. Oh, you uh, totally ro do. Uh, rollers, you know, like, oh, what's, yeah. <laughs> what's going on there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's all it's all that uh, Celtic heritage coming from Scotland and Ireland. That, yeah, it's, I think you know, so. Hung around for yeah. generation after generation, and yeah, yeah. stranglehold like in Chicago. It's this <laughs> <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So um, you brought up uh, Rob Wolf's name there, and of course you managed to get him on the other day. And you sort of bit Joe, Joe Rogan to the hop. Well done, Mickey. You know, it's not, not very often <laughs> you, can, you can say that. But um, have has there been any uh, critiques on Rob and, and Diana Rogers' session with Joe? Because there was plenty of them when it came to uh, like game changes a couple of years ago. And even when Chris Cresser jumps on, he usually gets yes. a fair rap. I saw uh, Elaine Norton... Um, do it was like a cheeky post, like, do I agree with the protein leverage hypothesis? <laughs> he didn't really say anything more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. And all I have seen um, is is people being, uh, it, there are some, just some real trolls, actually, aren't there, Ryan? And yeah. uh, people trolling on what other what people might have looked like on, on the show. Oh, and, no. And, yeah. And that just really shows that there are just people who have nothing better to do than sit behind their keyboard and just be nasty people really. So um, I have, I have yet to hear any, um, any sort of backlash from that. I had heard in the past and found it super interesting that the people who were almost most upset by Diana Rogers and, and Rob Wolf's book was, were the, the, uh, actual meat eaters you know mm. almost in that elite uh <clears throat> sort of category where diana and rob found that in fact the nutrition quality of uh feedlot meat was actually not different from that of your organic grass-fed meat and i feel like that that sounded like i'm sorry that that um raised eyebrows and caused a bit of uh criticism from those who would you know, choose to believe otherwise. But, you know, I just, I think it's so brave to put information out there when it doesn't always align with what people like to hear or even what you think, you know, like, you know, you go in with this sort of a prior knowledge of like, 
you know, you're, you, everyone comes at any subject with a bias. And when you, you find information that goes against that, I feel like it's really courageous to sort of go, hmm, perhaps I was wrong. And I feel like Rob and Diana both do a really good job of that. Mm. Um, and uh, I think it gives you, I think when we hear that as listeners, and if they have been mentors to us or people that we've looked up to, it then gives us the sort of courage to sort of think, oh, okay, well, I was a bit wrong about that. You know, I was like, you know, I was super zealous about this thing here in the past, but actually um, I know a bit more now and I I can come out and say, you know what, I was wrong about it. So, yeah. Yeah, on the, on the sort of flip side, and it was funnily enough today, I saw on TikTok a small clip of Rich Roll's podcast talking with someone and they're talking about protein quality or something like that. And yeah, they, they came up with, yeah, oh, you see, you've caught it as well. And yeah, they sort of, you know, made a roundabout argument. They're like, yes, you can do it. I'm like, I don't think anyone's saying you can't do it. <laughs> but yeah. How, how do you, like, I really appreciate Rich Roll and I listened to him mm-hmm. lately talk on Tim Ferriss and even outright said that people think I did uh, Ironmans because of the plant-based diet. It's like, well, I did Ironmans before the plant-based diet. It's just what I do. You know, that's yeah, these yeah. two are mutually exclusive things. But, you know, the Ironman is actually about because I was a, an addictive personality and the habits I was addicted to were horrible. Um, yeah. How closely do you follow Rich Roll? I, um, I love Rich Roll. Like, I love his roll-on shows on the Thursday. Um, where they're just having a yarn. I love so many of his guests that he brings on. And I absolutely love it when he brings his wife, Julie, on because I just think that she's got such an interesting perspective. It's, you know, really a, a really mind-opening sort of uh, perspective. And I, I just love all stuff like that. Um, but um, I heard, yeah, I heard the clip with uh, Rich and, and Simon talk and I really liked the way that they approached it because you can't disagree, you know, like if you are, if you have the money and if you have the supplements and if you're really considered, you can absolutely have a complete diet as a plant-based or a vegan um, athlete slash person slash whatever. And there's no disputing that. Um and and I think he mentioned this in that post that you saw that things like but you can't do it by accident you know you actually have to plan it um and I think that's the thing is that the superiority like there's there's no question and he didn't argue this there's no question that animal-based amino acids are superior from a digestibility perspective um like in a quality perspective, because that's how you want to look at amino acids, which are found in protein. You know, what what is the quality of them? Because the higher the quality, the better we're able to use them. And animal protein is a complete protein. And not only are they bioavailable, uh, they are, you know, they, they have what we need in them. Whereas most plant proteins are low in one or more of those amino acids, so they're not a complete protein and we don't digest them to the same extent. So the um, the way that they measure digestibility might have, say, milk protein or whey up at, say, one. And then soy is soy is is not far off, but it's just not the same. Um, but then you've got um, like gluten and pea protein at quite a 
bit further down. I might have pea protein wrong, but certainly the gluten protein um, and uh, and plant based proteins are all quite a lot less bioavailable. And the other thing to consider as well, Ryan, is that we don't eat these proteins in isolation. So, you know, if you get like, I'm a big fan of clean, lean protein, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, I love it. Yeah. And so from a pea based perspective, it's a great protein powder. And they've, when you get a protein powder that has isolated those amino acids from the other food components, it's, you know, the, there's a minimal difference in the quality of that of those amino acid profile because it's then it's it's been isolated from all of the other components whereas when you're just chucking together you know a salad with tofu um you're probably not eating enough tofu to to get you know the the protein that you need because you need quite a bit um and then you need even more because it's not as bioavailable so something might have 12 grams of protein in it but a plant-based protein, you might need to eat 30% more of it in order to get the same amount of those amino acids compared to if you were eating um, animal protein. And uh, you always get pushed back on stuff like that. I, I certainly do. And it's, but that's actually just science. It's mm. not opinion. And I think that's where people get confused. Yeah, I sort of find the same thing when it comes to speaking to people about uh, macular degeneration or even concussion when you start recommending oily fish um, in concussion yes. you can sort of more recommend um, supplementation of high quality fish oils and, and then often you'll get people I've taken hemp seed oil and you go yeah that's good but that's a that's an ALA we want a DHA and EPA and yeah. we're sort of only getting 33% at best quantity mm. for those things and it's like it, you know, and then you kind of say well is it estazanthin, the, the, the um, yeah, algae-based yeah, um, one? Uh, you find it in krill oil, is that right? Yeah, but I think there's an algae base that makes, yeah. Oh, uh, there you go. Yes, yes, like the Nordic Naturals algae. Yeah. Um, Amigas. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yep, I recommend them to all my vegans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and so they're getting the DHA and DPA out of the is that right? DHA, sorry. Yeah, yeah, totally. And is that is that about the only brand that you've you've found? It is actually. So because often people go, oh, flax seeds so high in omega threes, and chia seeds are high in omega threes, and as you said, like the conversion rate is so low that and it doesn't even convert. It might convert to DHA, but mm. the, the, it, but it's so low that it doesn't convert to EPA. And like it's basically useless from that perspective and i'm not saying they're not good fats to have but you just can't rely on them for those omega threes but i haven't found anything other than that nordic naturals um one ryan have you um suggested any of your clients like use ketones to help with their concussion yeah so that's what i was going to talk to you about because i've oh, seen yeah. you i've seen you using the private product and so a little bit of history of this podcast is i was um under keegan smith introduced to the exogenous ketone product and so i was sitting with plenty of webinars with cliff harvey that's partly how i met, met cliff and um did not like the sales model and i thought well no. you know tim ferris uh, like we're going back to mark sissons uh, <laughs> even joe rogan with alpha brain i was like maybe i could advertise it because mm. i really believe in this product so even a personal story i would take it playing rugby uh, given mm -hmm. the given the research, given what sort of Dom D'Agostino had said, 
and I unfortunately had a very bad concussion. Mm. Um, went home. I was luckily I was in Cambridge and I was living just around the corner. Had another one, and um, within that half an hour uh, between leaving my home and getting to the doctor doing the Scat Five, I passed it. And the doctor basically looked at me and said, "Are you sure you had a concussion?" And I went through what I'd been through, like completely 180 degree flipped. Couldn't really shower myself. Um, I was not able to text my dad. I could think it, mm-hmm. but not translate it. Um, had to grab my toilet bag, like, or went to grab my toilet bag like three times, even though I'd done it already. Um, mm. Just, yeah. No, you know, couldn't remember the meal I'd made the, the night before. Didn't couldn't recall the score. Couldn't re-establish the score. Um, so I was sitting there on the bench, knowing I was facing south, feeling like I was facing north, and mm. yeah, it was just a horrible experience. Took it, and obviously this is anecdotal, but past past that. So with that whole thing, I tried to sort of talk with the sports doctors in the Waikato at the time because it was a system called the Blue Card, which was return mm. to play for anyone that got a concussion in a game in the Waikato competitions and from that I got to talking with the Chiefs and completely accidentally I had the New Zealand Rugby uh, research scientists come and see me into our Moody for an eye exam and I said hey, mate have you heard about this you know is this on your radar and he kind of said oh mm, sort of you know like send me some stuff and that was it so yeah I at the time when I was had access to it I kind of did suggest it but yeah um now when I've been doing concussion reviews for ACC, I've put in ketogenic diet, exogenous ketones, um, and uh, lion's mane, and is, yeah, cool. is, and also fish oil, and even, mm. you know, especially when they're like a one-year post-concussion syndrome and they still can't read, you know, mm. can someone give this person some CBD oil off-label? Because totally. you know, this person's life has been ruined for a year. And yeah. they still can't really read, you know, this is what I'm assessing, you know, mm. what's the, you know, and also like things like um, probiotics, you know, the level of inflammation that they've got going on still, you know, brain yeah. fog and, you know, just, yeah, I I don't know if, I'd never get a letter back, so I don't know how, don't know how well how it's received. It yeah, like yeah. does it just go is to the it... case manager and they're like, oh, yeah, here, you can go get some glasses. Yeah, so interesting, eh? Like, because I I agree with you with because I the reason why I have those prove it's and I'm going through them is because I like you. I'm like, yeah, I'll get into this, but I just didn't like this. I'm just not a salesperson either, so I just couldn't get into selling them. And I know if you could, then you could do quite well because I've I know multiple people who have done very well out of selling those um, prove it's through that. They don't want to call it multi level marketing, but I don't know what the term is now. But no, I think that the Email them is what they're happy with. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, good. So um, but but they are expensive and that's that's why, yeah, what I mean, I like to use them when I go out on my runs in the morning for like harder runs. Mm-hmm. There's no science to show that they they should help me access fuel. Um, and of course the amount of ketones in them are they're not high. So it's certainly not like a ketone ester, which might bring your ketone levels up to say five or six you know these would bring my ketone levels up to say one or two but it feels like it's enough and it gives mm. me it gives me the energy I need and it might be the electrolytes because there is 900 milligrams of sodium in in a, a sachet it, the calories certainly you know get about 
even though on the label it says about 60 calories, it's probably closer to 130 when you mm-hmm. consider that ketones do actually have energy, even though they don't have to declare that on the label. Um, so, so I like to use them for my run. They will run out. They will run out at some point because I I stopped that a while ago. I'm just mm. making my way through. But back to your concussion thing, I um, um ketones absolutely. Uh, the what you mentioned with the ketogenic diet, yes. MCT oil, coconut oil. Um, Dom D'Agostino tells a really good story about um, this woman who's very, her first name was Mary. I cannot recall her last name, um, but she was very, you know, the one, eh? The one, she was yeah. in the, the space and her husband had Parkinson's, yes. I believe. And so she gave a high dose coconut oil because of the lauric acid in coconut oil did something in addition to the medium chain triglyceride and helped calm down that um, excitatory action and protect the neurons in the brain. And I found mm. that super interesting. Yeah, and also the, with the, um, is it called recalcitrant tremor, not tremor, um, seizures? Had yes. A, that, so they had a large group at, with the Charlie Foundation yeah. um, on the therapeutic ketogenic diet yeah. And then they found that about a third of those they were able to just MCT oil supplement to have Amazing, e- eh? equivalent effects. And it's like, that sounds easy. Oh, <laughs> Too totally. good to be true almost. <laughs> I know. And then the other the other couple of things, Ryan, I'm sure you've done heaps of research into this or um, know of it, uh, like curcumin for, mm-hmm. um, for brain inflammation and uh, um, sulforaphane as well. Yeah. And Rhonda Patrick talks a lot about both of those. And I remember her on a Joe Rogan podcast a few years ago, talking about concussion, talking about curcumin and the theory, I guess for people, if you're writing a case report for someone, it's probably at that too late stage. As I understood when she was talking about research behind it or mechanisms, like getting it really early, getting it Mm. in early um, could be helpful. Yeah. And like, you know, things like lactate and yeah, gosh, all all the, all the early interventions, which, which mean that um, those, you know, you're not seeing somebody at a year and they still can't read or look at a a computer or or whatever. And, and, um, oh, Who's our ultra runner? Lisa Tarmody, um, you know, yes. with with her mum post stroke, working with hyperbarics, and you know, <laughs> being told she's silly, and then it made, they managed to use the same similar thing, explore that with um, adjunctive cancer treatment, and you're like, oh, you know, there's there's things to say that it might help. You know, I know, and- right? And you never learn that stuff through like conventional, um, like tertiary education. Mm, you know, like mm. all the things that we're talking about here is. Yeah, got absolutely, and it's not in any of the courses that I sort of, you know, that I do. But what I quite like is, you know, people like Cliff who now have his Holistic Performance mm. Institute. You've got Dan Plews who runs his Endura IQ. Um, I actually teach on um, the in at Unitech, which is a polytech here in New Zealand, and a Diploma of Sport course and i have the opportunity to bring in all this stuff in one of our courses initiatives of health Mm. and fitness um i don't know how much those diploma students appreciate it but i sit there and me and my mate wes who co-teaches with me we just talk all about this stuff um because it's a you know it's it's great to just at least raise the awareness that things are out there that don't Mm. Mm-hmm. fit the necessarily the traditional model and then people can go and you know research it more themselves yeah there's also uh, dr mark norman in the states he works a lot with military mm. and you know he's talking 
uh, you're bringing up turmeric there he's one of the people that took him back quercetin um like magnesium magnesium and zinc yes. and then hormone supplementation due to that like shock to the pituitary gland and i know there is a gp somewhere in new zealand which i briefly got in contact with but then changed jobs so i lost all my emails <laughs> she is sort of does a little bit around um medical uh concussion recovery so again it's like one of those things where you you hear you hear things if you're listening out for them and then you kind of you know talk to a to a gp and would like you think about like a you know the new zealand gps conferences or australasian gps conferences like is, is that the sort of stuff that gets talked about like what's you know what's happening at new zealand rugby <laughs> yeah totally wouldn't that be amazing actually like if and you'd hope that those sort of conferences would lend themselves to having people who are not on the fringe but who are interested in areas that wouldn't necessarily get a lot of airtime. Like they could learn so much from from you know hearing from someone who's worked, like someone like you, Ryan, going up and giving a talk on what you know mm. about about concussion and stuff. Would at least because they're the ones with the access, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's quite a funny thing. Um, Mark Norman speaks about Michael Lewis, who works in Washington with the military, and he often talks about. The official sort of thing, I think his book's called When Brains Collide or something, and mm. then he sort of got me onto the CBD. But the only podcast that I've ever had a flag from YouTube from was this podcast, and it was like two years later. And I sort of emailed them really? and said, "What? What's what's against community guidelines about someone that's you know working for the U.S. military on this thing? You know, the sort of things he spoke about was that, of course, military rations aren't very good with omega threes." Mm-hmm. And um, simply supplementing omega-3s in the military greatly improved uh, depression, greatly improved the response to blasts. And then, of course, anyone that did get a blast concussion, they great, greatly improved their recovery. And then a step further, the CBD oil escalated that again. And so it was like, you know, this it's is... Hardly the, controversial. Yeah, he's working with a lot of people with this state. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's not some sort of rubbish thing. Yeah, um, one thing I, I sort of had a thought, and these these are dietitians, but I've spoken with Dr. Pran Yoganathan, and he's a oh, yes. um, gastroenterologist in Australia and Sydney there, and I've been and seen Dr. Steve Joe in Rotterdam here, and both oh, of nice. them work with dietitians, so Kate Moffat and Jessica Turton, and sometimes I, as an optometrist, I sort of think, especially on like di- diabetic days. It's like, how good would it be to have a nutritionist here? Like, see me, oh, yeah. see them, you know, the way you go. Or, yeah. you know, when it comes to macular degeneration, go see this person. Yeah, <laughs> Let's, let's bring down inflammation. Um, you know, I'd, especially when it's quite bad, I often bring up that maybe fasting might help. There's two rat models yeah. that appear to get rid of drusen. There's a third that it doesn't. Uh, back to mm. Megan Ramos, she one day spoke about a, a patient that, got told by our ophthalmologist they no longer had drusen or macular degeneration. Unfortunately, there's no no case series for that. But, like, Mm. how integrative can we be? Because, like, going back to Grant, there's something he's talking about with mental health. Like, we're never going to catch up to the demand, so we need to be holistic and integrative and dispersed and, you know, save the mental health system for the the end stage, which is what we're barely even capable of with that. But... When it comes to nutrition, how integrative can we be? I think, like, it, you see it a bit in the States, don't you, that 
because the medical or the the health system model is different. Like there are people like with the likes of um, Jeffrey Gerber, for example, who runs his type two diabetes clinic outside. I don't think it's just type two diabetes, but in Denver, you know, and he's got nurse practitioners and he's got, I believe, dietitians who work on this sort of group, like low carb sort of model. And I think there is like at some point, even in New Zealand, like, you'd think that something would have to change. So there was that integrative model because you do need that because GPs, like with the amount of time that they're actually able to spend with, with a client, they don't have the time to go through the diet related stuff. And also they don't learn that stuff. So mm-hmm. it has to, it, it's in their spare time when you have a GP like Steve Joe, who is, you know, super passionate about health and wellbeing at that holistic level. Um, like, uh, Dr. Cornier is here in, in Auckland. He's I'm not sure if he's practicing still, but he was very similar in that he had a real passion for it. So he would sort of give, you know, dietary sort of advice, but um, in, in, you know, within his scope, I think that there needs to, like if there were more of these models available to people, it would sort of normalize it a little bit more as well. You know, that it would normalize the idea that actually a doctor isn't the, be all and end all when it comes to nutrition advice and just telling you to to get your cholesterol down by eating less saturated fat like or to eat less move more you know or you're overweight you need to lose weight like and then what they need to be able to you know pass them on to someone in an accessible way so that person's got that uh sort of follow through follow up and follow through Hmm. yeah and i'm even fine when it comes to just simply diabetes, you know. Hey, yeah. your, your photo looks good. What's your HbA one c What's that? Uh, yeah, the, totally. The, the thing you got diagnosed for. Um, let's yeah. have a lesson about HbA one c What you know, oxidized red blood cells cause inflammation yeah. of your blood vessel. Yeah. There's only the blood vessel wall in your eye and your kidney, and if that leaks, we've got organ damage. Yeah. And they kind of look at you, and go, oh, I don't know this. <laughs> yeah, isn't that yeah. crazy, right? Like. Yeah, it's always... I, don't, I don't know how well it sticks because sometimes I'll see them privately and then the next week at the clinic and they still don't know the answer. But yeah, yeah, I just yeah have that sort of passion to go. Oh, if I say it enough times and they might hear it somewhere else, then maybe it'll engage. <laughs> and also, doesn't it just come down to what matters most for them? Yes. Overall, you know, it's like what is someone's why? Because if someone isn't, you know, if they if their health, if what you're telling them isn't enough to motivate them to change, then we need to find out what it is that's going to motivate them to change. And they might not care about themselves, but they might care about their grandchildren mm. or they might want to be able to walk their daughter down the aisle or, you know, like it's finding someone's why. And you always, I mean, that's so glib, isn't it? And you see it all the time on Instagram, but it actually is true. Like those little glib sayings come from somewhere, right? Simon Sinek's made a career out of it. So it must be worthwhile. <laughs> so exactly. Plenty of books and talked to plenty of people. So <laughs> yeah, totally. Because it's, and, and sometimes it's the voice and where they hear it from too, right? And this is the thing with doctors is that in the older generation, and not just the older, I know people who in sort of our age group who are similar to this, that they will only listen to their doctor. And their doctor is the voice of authority. And it's very difficult to sort of suggest that their doctor didn't learn enough about or learn about this stuff in their study. So even though they might tell you this thing, 
in fact, research has moved on from that and they're not, mm. you know, they haven't had the opportunity to go and learn it themselves. Mm. Um, mm. How do you feel about Australia acknowledging remission of diabetes? Oh, amazing. Yeah. That is, right? I've, I've just, like on my clinic, I just kind of have that screen up. <laughs> Good. That's so, brilliant, eh? This is our, this is our aim. And then it's yeah. like, what, what medications are you on? We're on, you know, we're up, we're up in the 90s and we're on insulin. We're like, okay. So this is their future goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Let's work towards that. Yeah. 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 It, it is so interesting, isn't it? I had a a um a couple of interviews, or no, one interview split into two podcasts with Andrew Kutnick, who is type one diabetes and the low carb approach for type one diabetes and mm. just the fear there is out there with clinicians to suggest that having an, an HbA1c within population norms 36. is actually healthy. Yeah, right. So, you know, whereas for someone with type 1 diabetes, often the recommendation is, you know, if you're under 50, well, okay, I'm not going to throw a number out, they'll say 50 or 45, but you're still, you know, if it's too low, they worry that you're having too many hypoglycemic events and they look at a lower HBO and C, not as something that is stable across time as a low carb diet would provide. Instead, they're thinking it's fluctuating up and down and up and down and it being like super mm. dangerous. Um, so, you know, that was that's such an interesting insight into how so important diet is with diabetes type 1 and type 2, right? But mm. also how much, how feared it is in, in some areas. Because you often hear low-carb diet is, is equivalent to lashings of cream and bacon and fat bombs and high-saturated fat and heart disease and all the rest of it still. Yeah. No, uh, last, last year? Maybe the year before. I can't remember. Yeah, no, it was last year, and I've had it again this year. Um, you get sort of a, you know, late twenties or early thirties, um, potentially mother already, or trying to get pregnant, um, type one diabetic, and and you just look in the eyes and go, oh dear. And and the year before in Australia, the the ophthalmologist showed me one of these pictures and said, you know, this person's not going to see their children grow up, and then to see mm -hmm. it two years in a row, you just you know you look at it and you go, oh my gosh what's what's happening yeah. here so i wrote an article about it last year it got put into our australasian magazine um oh, amazing sat alongside uh mr james murky who it was australian of the year two years ago he's an ex-ophthalmologist um oh, wow. and yeah i brought up that 2018 paper about type one grit and you know mm. when, I, when i get type ones in i say every time have you heard of type one grit it's just a facebook page yeah. But here's here's the story, <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. You know, and I, these these people have got HbA one C of thirty six, which is pretty much what mine is. Um, you know, 32, 36, 28, You know, around there sometimes. Yeah. And and then I say, and then the the real false economy is the dose of insulin these people use. It's mm. they're using ten. You know, and often you get people ninety, a hundred. And you go, yeah. And and then oh, I meant to write a little rebuttal, but I didn't get around to it. We had a five-month study on um, continuous glucose monitors. Yes. And, uh, no, sorry, not continuous glucose monitors, gluco uh, insulin pumps. Okay. And so they correlated um, slightly better a A1C with, you know, potentially better results because that's what the graph is. If your A1C is better, then your outcomes of, of retinopathy and things should be better. Mm-hmm. But it was five months, and I just felt like saying, "Well, that's a little bit of a false economy. What, what is the 
dose of insulin being used there because that's still making things leaky. That's still causing mm. people to store fat and be, get more obese. Like, mm-hmm. what, what's going to happen here? And, you know, of course, it was sponsored by the, I think, Abbott. And, yeah. <laughs> and you go, oh, my gosh, you know, what are we doing yeah. here? Yeah, it's interesting. That reminds me of this debate about who should use a continuous glucose monitor. That's when you just mentioned that. I was well, especially in New Zealand, you, you, the, those end-stage cases, you just went right to the GP and say, like, is there any funding? For, yeah. a, for a type two, like, yeah, you know, $100 a pop. Having that real-time data, right, like of, of seeing actually how that food's affecting you, that might be the ticket for some people to go, oh, I can really correlate how I feel with what I eat because I'm seeing it, whereas it's hard to make the connection without the actual data for some people. Mm. But then on a non-diabetic, how do you feel about that? This is where the controversy lies, right, because the reality is is that, you know, that's such an arbitrary cutoff, that 41. And so, you know, you go up to 41, you're fine, then suddenly you're 41.2 and you're not, you know? Like I just, you know, there are people who who legitimately want to know how food's affecting them from a mood perspective, from an energy perspective. Um, and, you know, should they, if they are able to access a glucose, a continuous glucose monitor, you know, surely that should be fine you know people shouldn't be people are so sort of up in arms that they that I think they believe that it's causing so, you know it's too much data for people to look at and it's it's obsessive or, or I don't know things like that well, whereas, I've, I've even found that we're trying to get a blood panel done what do you want that for oh yeah I know <laughs> you know it's like you get like all of this sort of sits within that can we just be a bit proactive about our health you know <laughs> like because you might like you know, more like not only does the CGM show you how the food affects you, but what about how stress affects you, how lack of sleep affects you, what does alcohol do? Mm-hmm. You know, I think all of these things, if you're interested, they paint a really a really detailed picture of of your habits and how it impacts on your metabolic health. I don't know why people are so concerned that people who are apparently healthy are looking into it. Because let's face it, like I believe is it eighty eight percent of Americans have might even be more than that have metabolic mm, disease, you know, metabolic there. syndrome. Yeah. So in fact, when we're calling, they're saying that apparently healthy people are interested in it. Well, maybe these people aren't actually that healthy. Maybe this CGM is giving them the information they need in order to make the necessary changes. So they are. Yeah, I'm a fan. I've used one. Have you used one? No, that and an aura ring. Am I? Uh sort of oh. you know you and i are both peter atia fans so yes <laughs> yes we, yes absolutely i'd love an aura ring actually i should put it on my birthday list yeah i've got the dream list i actually ticked off part of my dream list today i uh, bought a barbell to match my my plates so my home oh, gym is i was I, I was talking to my girlfriend about it i said yeah this is this is a really celebration day <laughs> Brian, absolutely. I'm really after a uh, pull-up bar. So yeah. this year, aura ring, pull-up bar, a freezer that I can do a cold plunge oh, yes, in, yes. and then sauna. But that's the sauna's <laughs> the most expensive. So I'm leaving that and just putting those those other ones on the list. I haven't quite got um, um, Baz to to uh, let me put the freezer in, but I, but I think he's. I'm wearing him down. It's getting close. Mm. Yeah, I had the privilege of sitting in Nigel Beach's one two Fridays ago. And oh, uh, yeah, he really stepped up the game of what a sauna is. <laughs> I was like, oh. I think he joked to me. I was like, it was either another bedroom in the house or a sauna. 
this is great. This is great, Nigel. Right. Um, speaking of biohacking, I'm I'm conscious of of your time and lighting and all all those things, Mickey. Um, where do people find you? Um, you know, and we can include these in the show notes so they can just click on it. But uh, where's the best awesome. place to find you? Awesome, Ryan. Well, I'm probably most active on Insta. I love Instagram. I love translating science into knowledge that people understand. I could talk for hours, actually. I love protein. I talk all about how important that is. I love talking about metabolic health. I love sort of dispelling, you know, sort of myths, but I also appreciate that everyone is different as well and I hope that that like there I mean there are some I've got some pretty hard sort of rules when it comes to actually no you are better off having a higher protein load regardless of mTOR you know and and things like that but but everyone's really different I think when it comes to nutrition so I like to talk about that as well and obviously I like to talk because look you just asked where people would find me and I went off on another tangent um uh, I've got a podcast as well called Wikipedia and I love it uh, and it is pretty much exactly what we've just done here tonight, right? So you need to come on my podcast. Yes, please. Yes. Um, brilliant. Uh, so I just love to talk to people like yourself, uh, other experts in the field about their knowledge and understanding about health and, and, and also talk to people who are just, who have transformed themselves. I find that so interesting. Mm, mm. Uh, and then I have um, a website, mickeywillardin.com. And I also love creating recipes and really lovely food ideas. And I run a fat loss program, which is um, which has been super awesome, actually. So I'm really stoked with that. And we're just about to kick off again. Well, finishing off this program, got a week and a half to go. And then I've got my autumn program starting in, in late April. So I'm sort of getting organized for that. Beautiful. Now, Mickey, you've, you've had a, as you told us about, a, a array of things through your career um you've done running and so you know yes. as someone who's done one ultra marathon i can sort of relate <laughs> still haven't worked out how you guys do it but what keeps you in flow so when things are going right this is showing mm. up and when you're kind of finding yourself going oh, what's going wrong what's the sort of thing that you're probably not doing yeah do you know i think so I've recognized so the three things which I love, Ryan, and one of them I just discovered sort of last year. So the one that I've loved forever is actually running. And mm. I it just makes me, like I get so much from it. And I can't describe how much I love running in words. But of course, my relationship with it has changed over time because as I'm older, I just can't run the way I used to when I was younger but I also really appreciate it for so much more and what it gives me so much more you know I've got some of my best relationships through running um, my best girlfriends through running I've achieved so many things that I'm proud of with it but I also love that I can still run now and a lot of my other activities are geared towards helping me continue to run so mm -hmm. love running um, I love the outdoors like I just love it and I feel so sorry for anyone who has yet to discover how amazing nature is, you know, like mm. people who don't value it the way I do. I feel like I just feel really sad for them. <laughs> um, and I love cold water. Yeah. Mate, like the only thing that comes close to running for me is cold water immersion. But natural bodies of like going down to the beach and 
going into the lake and like I love a lake I can see mm. myself living in like Rotorua later like you know the lakes and the redwood forest and and stuff but even you know freezer outside my house would be great <laughs> um, <laughs> so I love that it just it's amazing it's amazing for you it makes you feel good so those are things which if I'm missing out on if I'm something's feeling a bit off something's not in balance in those areas lovely appreciate that awesome. thank you very much mickey i'll let you head off and, and get onto snooze mode and uh yeah <laughs> thanks again cheers thanks ryan Ta. thanks ryan